HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agrotourism Training. For more information, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. This week on Meet and 3, we get ready for Super Tuesday by looking at how food shapes elections both at home and abroad. People know that you don't order a Philly cheesesteak with Swiss cheese as John Kerry did back in the 2004 cycle. A young group of friends decided that they would put up a website which told voters which polling booths had sausages. Prime Minister David Cameron was pictured about a week after this incident eating a hot dog in a bun with a knife and fork because he was so afraid. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and this is the 242nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, March 4th, 2020, we have a special on-the-road edition of my show with coverage from the Philly Chef Conference at Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as well as a recap of South Beach Wine and Food Festival in Miami Beach, Florida. To start things off, we're going to go to my live broadcast at the Philly Chef Conference with my guest, Katie Button, which we recorded on Sunday, March 1st, 2020. And then I'm going to come back with my industry news segment on Sobe Wine and Food Festival, plus my solo dining experience. So here we go with me and Katie from Philly. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'm the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network, a show which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. I'm so excited to be here today with my guest, Katie Button, who I will introduce fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. 
So today's tip is to get out of the kitchen. But not because you can't take the heat, but rather to learn, grow, and thrive. Take time away from the line or your regular workplace to recharge and reset. Trust in your team, knowing that things will be taken care of and there for you when you return, and set out to travel and dine. Participate in events, conferences, and festivals. And most importantly, make time for yourself and your loved ones. Getting away will not only help you see the bigger picture from your day-to-day -day routine, but it will inspire new ideas, bringing more value to your work in the long run. So give yourself permission to go. I do. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to be here with my guest, Katie Button. She is the executive chef and CEO of Katie Button Restaurants, which includes Curate Bar de Tapas and Button & Company Bagels in Asheville, North Carolina. A three-time James Beard Award nominee, Katie honed her craft in the kitchens of, of some of the world's best chefs, most notably Ferran Adria and Jose Andres, before venturing to open her own restaurant. In the years since, she's received numerous accolades, including Food & Wine's 2015 Best New Chefs. Curate is one of Food & Wine's 40 most important restaurants of the past 40 years, and one of Esquire's most important restaurants of the decade. In 2016, she released her first cookbook, Curate, Authentic Spanish Foods from an American Kitchen, and in 2019, she debuted Asheville's culinary festival, Chow Chow. Through it all, Katie continues to challenge the industry standard, building comprehensive benefits to cre create a sustainable work environment for her living wage certified restaurant group. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here at the Philly Chef Conference. Very cool. So you and I are, are running around a, on a circuit of, of events. Yes. I <laughs> Lots of festivals. Back to back. I know. I know. I just saw you down at South Beach at Wine and Food Festival, which is great. I know we have Charleston coming up. Um, before we get into to that, I always like to start with my guests with their background and how they, they got into the industry. And I know that uh, you were born in the South, raised in the North, and uh, you got a lot of great experience also um, traveling. So uh, let's... Uh, dive into that. Sure. Um, yes, I was born in South Carolina and then my father's job moved us up to New Jersey. So I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey and I it kind of have, I'll do this, uh, my long story in a short summarize, otherwise we'll be here forever. <laughs> um, I went down, a my mother, the big portion of my story is that my mother ran a catering business out of our home as I was growing up and food was just like a really big part of my upbringing almost so much so that it was just kind of always there and I didn't think about it as a career opportunity or something that I should pursue and I ended up going down a path that I did not enjoy in um, engineering I have a master's degree in biomedical engineering so in case that ever serves me well in the future there um I I almost um I almost you know started a PhD program in neuroscience again in case that ever I want to go back to that someday um but basically you know I realized that I was kind of just following this path of science that people were giving me lots of kudos and pats on the back for and I was miserable the entire time and it took me to looking at a PhD which felt like forever and the end of my life and I was in my early 20s and so that felt like finally a moment when 
if I was ever going to make a change, I needed to do it now. So I did. And it brought me to, I was in DC actually at the time for that PhD program. And I just started thinking about working in restaurants. I had no idea what, it wasn't like I quit and was like, I'm going to be a chef and this is my goal. And I was totally instantly clear on my future. But, um, it brought me to the doorstep of a Jose Andres restaurant. I went applying to different restaurants to work in and his team was the only one that looked at my resume and saw like PhD dropout and said with zero professional restaurant experience and was like, let's give her a shot. You know, so no, he was amazing. Um, his team sends out a quiz that you have to fill out that like gets at your passion about food. And I like aced this quiz about answering questions about varieties of mushrooms and grapes and, you know, and, and, and I thought that that's a really interesting hiring method because um, he was able to see past the black and white of my resume. And then that brought me to meet my husband, who's now my husband, Felix Mana, who showed up with, he's a front of house um, service master. And he showed up with, at one of Jose Andres's restaurants with other chefs from El Bui and uh, one of Fran Arias restaurants, which got me the connection to meeting, um, learning about El Bui for the first time and then I had the opportunity to go and work and I worked there for two different seasons and it was amazing and that's and then we moved to Asheville North Carolina to open our first restaurant it's such amazing experience and I wasn't sure from reading a longer bio of yours when when you did meet your husband because I knew he was from the the town where Obuli was yeah he's born and raised in um in Rosas and uh, <laughs> it, um, it, which is the town uh, that El is in. And he worked there for five years in the front of the house. Amazing. So why, Nash- why Asheville? You know, I think um, we, we, were, we were thinking about, I went into business with my whole family. Like this is a family business. When my mother realized that I was no longer on the science path, she got really excited because it had always been her dream to open her own restaurant. And so she started planning and plotting this amazing future for our whole family to go move and live somewhere and open a restaurant together. She successfully accomplished that, so it was it was great. And um, um, but you know, when we were thinking about where this was going to be, we looked in the Northeast in New Jersey area and New York, and um, but n- nowhere where we looked really set felt right. And then we were thinking, gosh, my grandparents are still in South Carolina. My grandmother was down there. We should move closer. I felt connected to the Southeast because I had been born there and then spent summers and holidays with my grandparents and just felt really connected to the to the southeast and we looked all over North Carolina and came through Asheville and it was just this immediate feeling of wow what is this place and this is exactly where we need to be and did you know right away that you wanted to open a tapas style restaurant no, we basically had no idea what we were going to do. We were just going to open a restaurant, <laughs> so, which I think honestly is how a lot of people start in the restaurant industry. It's like you're excited about food and, you know, it's not like you have this clear, defined decision about what it is that you want to do and what your future will hold. Um So we were tossing around different concepts and things and ideas, and we just landed on Spanish tapas because, honestly, it was the smartest decision because thinking 
thinking about it, it was literally the only professional cooking experience that I had ever had. I mean, working for Jose Andres and in Spain um, uh, and living in Spain. I mean, I just had the most knowledge in that um, cuisine. So I'm glad that we went that route. (laughs) Absolutely. And was it well received from the beginning? And did you change the concept at all over the years? It was um, extremely well received from the beginning, um, surprising all of us, and uh, which was amazing. And we started getting recognized, and people were talking about it, and it was really fascinating. I mean, we just set out to open a small family tapas bar in Asheville, North Carolina, and um, we have changed it. Actually, I think from when we opened. We opened in this space, and we kind of made do with what we could and what we could have affo- what we could afford at the time. I mean, we um, don't have any investors. We were able to buy a building in Asheville and use that collateral to get a loan from a bank to like upfit the restaurant. But you're limited on on how much funds that you have then to put in the design and the and the kitchen and everything. So we just kind of built this what we could with what we had. And Felix and I were always thinking about this future of the perfect curate or our imagined curate, what we would want it to be if we had more funds. And and, um, and we did that in 2017. We took over the building next door to us, expanded into it, redid the prep kitchen and all the back of house kind of areas and spaces and operations. And then also um, added this um, vermuteria like bar with um, vermouth bar with Um, sherry cider and vermouth on tap and bites and you know kind of upped the decor a little bit redid the upstairs kitchen layout and and um, it's pretty amazing I'm so glad that we were able to do that Asheville is on my list of places I need to get to I'm, I'm dying to go and also for your bagels Yes, exactly. People are like, <laughs> why, you know, Spanish cuisine, they're like, why bagels? I'm like, because I grew up in New Jersey and, uh, and, and in northern New Jersey. And, you know, bagels were a part of my daily life. You know, I would go to school and then go to, you know, um, tennis or I play lacrosse. I like do lacrosse practice. And afterwards, we would go get bagels. I mean, it was like, you know, Saturday morning, we would go get bagels. And um, uh, I, I felt like living in Asheville when I was thinking about, we wanted to open a concept that was breakfast and lunch and counter service and accessible, but I also wanted to make everything myself. Like, I feel like I know that's um, just the feeling that I have about, about opening places. So, uh, and I'd been missing bagels. So that's why we opened a bagel shop. It's awesome. And also I, I know, I mean, it's based on Appalachian ingredients. Well, we we have infused regional Appalachian um, Sorry inspired. Sorry, saying that wrong. No, you're good. <laughs> inspired um, foods and products into the bagel shop because what I didn't just want to do was like bring, you know, New Jersey or New York to um, to Asheville and just you know I, I felt like I was like if we're gonna open a bagel shop and we're gonna make everything here from scratch, we're gonna incorporate our local producers in that and be able to make things a little different. So we um, we came up with a bagel recipe that incorporates a percentage of locally milled flour. And southern flour is that winter wheat, which doesn't have as high gluten, which is why the south is like biscuit country and not bagel country, which I find really fascinating and it makes sense. Um, and then we kind of incorporate 
um, a northern um, high gluten flour to so we get the flavor but the structure and then we use sorghum syrup instead of barley malt syrup in the bagel and in the boil um, uh, and then we also do things like when we have ramps in season we make ramp cream cheese and we take the tops and we free we puree the tops and then freeze them so we can have ramp cream cheese for as long as we can and then we pickle the bulbs and we use sumac on our smoked cod that we make and um, we do a smoked trout because there's lots of trout in the mountains of North Carolina. As I said I'm due for a trip. Yes. (laughs) So I have been seeing you on the road and all these festivals and also in New York City you just finished a residency at the Chef's Club. So what what was that experience like and and how do you decide what festivals and conferences to go to? The Chef's Club residency was great. We were there for two months. Um, moved up there the week of Thanksgiving and I moved back to Asheville February 2nd and we um, you know brought Felix and I brought our kids up there for the month of December and just opened Curate in New York for two months. And it was awesome because it was fun to be able to, one, see what it was like opening your concept in another kitchen outside of where you normally operate, but then bring bring it to people who would typically have to take a flight to Asheville in order to find us. And that was really amazing. Um, and then with the festivals and opportunities yes there's been south beach and now philly and charleston next weekend and you know um a few more coming up and that i already have on the calendar coming up in the year um they're really important because i think getting out and seeing people meeting new people you know high-fiving old friends and people that you've met before and just making those connections and i mean we are in Asheville, so it's not um we're not a city that people, you know, have plane layovers and like happen, work happens to bring them there. I mean, it does, but sometimes, but with much less frequency, people have to seek out going there, which I have to say is partly why we also created the Chow Chow Festival, you know, was about in Asheville. Um, It's called Chow Chow because we wanted to immediately start educating people about foods of the region. And I mean, food people know it's a pickled relish not a dog so that's good (laughs) but it's but it's fun and we had a mascot that was a chow 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 which was at the festival which was awesome and um anyway it's but that's another reason I mean now all of a sudden we're, we're creating a reason for people to travel to Asheville for work you know to talk about food to do what they're doing here and you know um it it's great that was that was going to be my next question on Chow Chow. So you got to that. So how do you how do you manage all this? How do you balance work, family, time? I mean, well, it's all it's all connected. You know, it is all connected. I think that I would be lying if I was saying that I was the example of work and life balance because I have not. I, I talk about it a lot and I think about it a lot, but I have a hard time saying no to things. So. I'm still on the journey and the path of figuring that out. I was just saying to my husband this morning, I was like, gosh, you know what we need in in our happiness of life is more downtime. Just just time to just think and be and have things happen. I was like, smile at each other. I was like, that's really nice. So, um, you know, uh, I think that but I think the more you talk about that and the more you think about it, the better you get at it. And um, I'm hoping 
that I can continue to improve in that area. I'm with you and I don't have kids, but yeah, it's challenging, but I'm, I'm like you. I just want to go, 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 do, do, do. So I do. It's hard because you don't want to miss up, op- pass up on opportunities, you know, and um, I, I don't know. But I think at a certain point you do, you have to set, maybe it's setting a max number of travel opportunities a year that you're going to do. And then once you've filled it, saying no. <laughs> so. I don't know if I like that one. <laughs> right. But maybe, either. yeah, maybe <laughs> it is. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later, our, our plan. Okay. So, um on every show, I go, I go uh, guest to guest, and I ask my last guest to ask you a question. So on episode 241, I had on Gabriel Stolman, the founder and CEO of Happy Cooking Hospitality in New York City, which includes restaurants Joseph Leonard, Jeffrey's Grocery, Fedora, Fairfax, Bar Sardine, and there's more. So his question for you. What is your favorite dish to order at Buxton Hall Barbecue, and is it all that? Um, the beans that are cooked under the hog, for sure, hands down. They're awesome. So uh, Elliot uh, Moss, the chef at Buxton Hall, he cooks his green beans, you know, like literally under the roasting pig, and the drippings like fall, and you get the smoke, and I mean, it's just, I mean, they're amazing. So, I mean, and the barbecue is great, too, but the sides that they do are pretty, pretty phenomenal. That one is my favorite, um, hands down. And is it all that? Yes, of course. Um, You know, it's, you know, I I think that what Elliot has managed to do is to, like, I, I love the old barbecue places, the spots where you go up and you order at a counter and you get a soda and you like, you know, cheer wine or something and you sit down in this tiny little space and you enjoy your lunch of your barbecue and but what Elliot has managed to do is to make barbecue like a dining experience you know which I think is fun and interesting and different and like you sit down and they have amazing cocktails I mean their their bar program is like just really skilled and talented and you can get cheer wine slushy mixed with bourbon if you want to go that route or you know um or you know a um a really nice Negroni or you know it's fun and then they have great desserts and it's it's like you're sitting down enjoying this experience in this beautiful old old building looking at the open kitchen with all the pigs roasting on the um, coals and um, I think it's amazing another reason why I have to get to Asheville <laughs> okay and he had another question he wanted to know what do you think of the Biltmore he said palace but Biltmore Estate right okay yes Biltmore Estate it's kind of like a palace <laughs> um, yeah, I looked it up <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's incredible um uh, so the Vanderbilt family built that uh, right around the turn of the century, and it's um, just amazing. And now you can visit it. It's still privately owned by the family and, um, uh, well, their children and relatives. And um, the it's amazing because you can go and you can visit and you can tour, and they do a wonderful job of keeping – the house itself like in impeccable shape and just but what I think is more interesting about it is the 
history, you know, the creation of the Biltmore Estate, they had to bring in and, and actually create and also hire a lot of local makers in order to make the art and the, the different um, things that are in that amazing house, the trim, the decor, the metalwork, the woodwork. And um, Asheville's very much a craftsman maker community and so if you think about it I mean it's been it's been that way for forever and the Biltmore Estate is a really good example of that awesome okay so also on all of my shows I have a speed round game okay Uh (laughs) and so what this is is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference so my example is chocolate or vanilla so you have a choice Okay. Are we starting or no? No. Well, you're not that's that's me. you. You can answer that one if you want. <laughs> that's the test. It's up to you. Okay. Chocolate. Actually, vanilla. See, I'm gonna be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how speed this speed round okay. is. But I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> okay. Eat in or eat out. Eat out. Wine, beer, <laughs> cocktail, or or champagne or mocktail. Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Ooh, all-inclusive charge, but man, it's hard to find. Uh, yeah, well, things things have been changing like a little it. bit here and there. Okay, um, toasted bagel or fresh as, as they come or fresh out of the oven? Fresh baked, yeah, not toasted. Olives or liquefied olives? Olives. <laughs> liquefied ones are really cool, but olives. <laughs> they are very cool. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Asheville? Asheville. Gosh, could I answer that any other way? I mean, uh, Brooklyn is, uh, is amazing. We had a wonderful time. That's where we lived when we were in New York for, the, for those two months for the chef's club. Amazing. I have to say you were speedy, very speedy. You got it. (laughs) Yeah. I thought I was just going to have to have to keep keep asking before you you hesitated. (laughs) I I decided I was just going to commit. Yeah, was going to be it. I know people take it really seriously, Mm. but um, you you did well. So, um, okay, the last part of the show is I'm going to ask you to ask a question for my next guest. So um, next weekend, I'm going down to to Charleston Wine and Food Festival, which I'm excited about. Uh, Heritage Radio, we're all going to be there. So I'm going to be interviewing Mike Lada. The chef and partner of Fig Fig Restaurant and The Ordinary in Charleston, South Carolina. Super excited to to talk with him. And so, Katie, what would you like to ask Mike? Oh, gosh. Um, Let me think about that for a minute. I would ask Mike. um, I would ask him, you know, how he has managed to, you know, um, kind of exalt and give a platform for um, one of his, the chef de cuisine over at Fig. I think it's really interesting as a chef and restaurant owner who is able to step back and give somebody else, you know, the, the light when they open multiple concepts. And so, um, and you know, pass the torch on, and um, so I would just ask him like, what, 
how he got there? What was the how what was the way? How how was he able, you know, to make that transition happen? I will ask him. Great. Thank you so much. You're you're such a pleasure. I'm so glad I've gotten to know you just from being on the road and seeing you at at all of these events and being able to come to your dinner in New York. And I wish you much continued success. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you all. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and I hope you enjoy my live broadcast with Katie Button, continuing with this special on-the-road show. For industry news today, I'm recapping the 19th annual Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival presented by Capital One, which took place February 19th through 23rd in South Beach, Florida. And I attended for what I will say the umpteenth time, as I'm quite a regular there. Now, this national star-studded five-day destination event showcasing talents of the world's most renowned wine and spirits producers, chefs, and culinary personalities was founded by Executive Director Lee Schrager, my guest on Episode 20. And it's hosted by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits and Florida International University, FIU, benefiting FIU's Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management and the Southern Wine and Spirits Beverage Management Center. To date, the festival has raised more than $30 million for the school, and the festival's mission is to eat, drink, and educate. Now, some highlights for me. On Friday night, I went to the Heineken Light Burger Bash, presented by Schweid and Sons, hosted by Rachel Ray, and Jamie Schweid was my guest on episode 80. The burgers were fabulous. I, you know, there's always more burgers than you could possibly eat, but uh, some of them that I enjoyed and tried were Shake Shack's Burger, uh, Gotham Burger Social Club with Pig Beach. Uh, This was uh, Gotham Burger Social Club's Mike Puma. This was his first time participating and he made a delicious burger and I also got to meet Rev Run of Run DMC which was super cool. Uh, Award winners were Heineken People's Choice Award went to Butters to Mike's Burger and Schweid and Sons Very Best Burger went to Weston's Cupie Olive Burger and of course as in years past this has happened to me I did not try either of the two winning burgers, but congratulations to them. I'm sure they were absolutely delicious. Then also on Friday night, I went up to the Fountain Blue Miami Beach for their event, which is Wine Spectator's Best of the Best. And this is another walk around tasting event, but it's indoors, it's in their ballroom. And uh, I tasted a few amazing savory bites uh, from Katie Button, my guest from the Philly Chef Conference, and from Lee Wolin, who's from Boca in Chicago. 
and Stephen Starr's Makoto. He had a long line going, waiting waiting for his, his little dumplings. Um, it was quite a lively uh, audience and uh, good music and uh, a good time. And also outside of the main ballroom, they have all the desserts for display. And I tasted a few of those. I had Soraya Caraccioli Kilgore's dessert, as well as Zach Young. Um, and it was uh, another, another great event. So, um, Saturday night, I went back to the beach and I went to the Coca-Cola Beachside Barbecue hosted by Guy Fieri. And, um, and this is another event produced by Cream, which I mentioned before. And Cream, by the way, Randy Fisher was my guest on episode 42. This event, I ended up walking around with Drew Neporent, my guest on episode 176. And uh, it was really fun going around with Drew and tasting lots of amazing barbecue. Uh, we, we tried Hometown Barbecue, The Purple Pig, Big Bob Gibson's Barbecue, Buxton Hall's Barbecue. I met Al Roker. Um, it was great, a lot of fun and delicious. And um, another highlight was I, I went to John George Von Richten's party. Uh, he has a ping pong party that he does every year at the Edition Hotel. And it had a great uh, presence of chefs and industry people as well as consumers who were attending the festival weekend. And he always puts out a wonderful spread of food. I had some amazing stone crabs that he had on display with a raw bar display and uh, it was fun watching the ping pong too. So um, those are some highlights. I also saw a gorgeous rainbow on the beach. Got to give the rainbow and nature a shout out. So it was wonderful. Uh, always great to be down there for the Sobe Wine and Food Festival and I'm always so impressed by the execution of the event and how seamlessly everything seems to run. It is a massive festival. There are hundred over a hundred plus events and lots of dinners going on and daytime events. So uh, this is just a taste of it. Uh, I wanna say thanks and congratulations to Lee Schrager, to Devin Padgett, who was also a guest on my show, episode 82, to Cream, to Agency 21 and Brett Friedman. He was my guest on episode 97. So I've had a lot of people of the people involved in the festival on my show, which I'm very honored to have, have had them on and hear their story. Um, also a shout out to The Door and just to the entire Sobe Wine Food Festival team. Really great job. Uh, go to their website, SobeWFF.com. Dot org. That's S-O-B-E-W-F-F dot org. And you can also follow them on social media at S-O-B-E-W-F-F-E-S-T. So that's S-O-B-W-F-F-E-S-T. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agritourism Training. Did you know that every $1 invested in tourism marketing returns on average $3 to $8 back? Not a bad ROI. Learn how to grow your agritourism business via 12 workshops entirely women-led. These training workshops are on demand and can be downloaded at any time. The local travel landscape is rapidly changing to meet the demands of the leisure, event, and corporate travel sectors. 
Whether you're a farmer or producer, a winemaker, a restaurateur, or a destination marketing organization, there's more opportunity than ever to capture these markets. The on-demand agritourism training will provide you with insights and skills to keep your target demographic coming back for more. 14 speakers providing six plus hours of education that you can watch at your convenience anytime on any device. Maximize your time, budget, and resources and focus on creative solutions to help your business thrive. Presented by Escape Maker and Fulton Stall Market, the full conference access pass is now available to purchase. Use the code HERITAGE2020 for $50 off a full pass at checkout. For more information and to purchase your pass, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Now it's time for my solo dining experience. This week it's at KFAR Cafe. Here's the rundown. The location, 110 South 19th Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The concept, an all-day cafe and bakery inspired by the food and energy and warmth of Israeli bakeries that Chef Mike Solomonov experienced at his very first kitchen job outside of Tel Aviv. The owners, well, as I said, it's Chef Mike Solomonov and Steve Cook of Cook and Solo, and executive chef Camille Cogswell, who is the pastry chef at Zahav for the past four years, which in case you don't know, but you probably do, is another one of Mike Solomonoff and Steve Cook's restaurants, which I love. So why did I go? Because I was in Philly for the Philly Chef Conference, and I'm a huge fan of really all things that this restaurant group does. So my experience. So I had a dinner reservation for one, and uh, it was a little later than I went to dine because I got into town and I was a bit tired. So I kind of wanted to just have an earlier dinner and then get a good night's sleep. So I went in early, and they didn't have any, any seats available at that time, but they said they'd text me when something became available. So I went around to the coffee shop uh, around the corner, and... Uh, about 30 minutes later, they texted me and they had a spot for me at the bar, which uh, was fabulous. I, I then enjoyed a really nice dinner there. So what did I get? I had bread and caviar. I had the Persian lamb shank. And I also had walnut crumb cake and an extra dessert of date malabi. My take. Fabulous. The bread, a Jerusalem bagel with labneh, caviar, and sitar was just divine. The lamb fell off the bone and had a wonderful flavor combination with sour cherries, pickled rose petals, and pistachio and saffron rice. The walnut cake, which was served with Turkish ice cream, was delicious. It was very crumbly. And my other dessert, the date malabi, was just sensational. I really could eat that every day, possibly for breakfast, I would say. That would be a good way to start the day. So the ambiance, I would say it's a modish, narrowish space. It has a very pretty bar. It has some communal seating up front and tables towards the back. And um, it's super, it has a, a kind of dark, sexy look and feel at night while as during the day which I will get to in a moment it is bright and airy 
So I'd say it's perfect for sharing with friends. Interesting tidbit, Kfar means village in Hebrew. And personal fun fact. Okay, so here's the kicker. I went back the next day for pastries and lunch. And this is not something I typically do when I'm traveling. I don't usually go to the same restaurant twice, but I did. And they're very different restaurants by day and night. So daytime, uh, when I walked in, there was a line waiting for people to order at the counter. And you could see all the pastries on display. I knew what I wanted to get. I saw on Instagram somebody post about this brown sugar ricotta Kubanay toast with pomegranate and blueberry syrup and I was just craving it and I ordered that and it was divine as good as expectations. I also had coffee and a bunch of pastries. Um, I, I ordered a few and then I ended up sitting back at the bar and my bartender who was serving me the night before was there. And so he sent me out a couple things. Um, I had the chocolate arugula, pistachio sticky bun, chocolate chip cookie, and potato boreca. I took a lot of this to go, um, but it was all delicious. I met the manager, Yasmin. Uh, I was sorry to miss Camille and Michael, but um, I really had a wonderful experience and hospitality was lovely. Another personal fun fact. So I also checked out two of their other restaurants that recently opened and this is laser wolf an israeli skewer house and merkaz an israeli street food which i got a sabich sandwich to go for my train ride on that one and laser wolf was to be honest my second dinner after going to pizzeria bedia which was right around the corner so um and there i sat at the bar and had a really nice experience i didn't eat that much because it was a second dinner but it was it was really fantastic so the cost of my meals at kfar 37 dollars for dinner 17 for lunch and pastries there were a few comp dishes so this is a uh, hospitality treatment price prices which i'm very grateful for it also does not include tax and gratuity so would i go back yes i would i really liked this restaurant their website is kfarcafe.com that's k-f-a-r-c-a-f-e.com so that's my solo dining experience this week and that's our show many thanks to katie button executive chef and ceo of katie button restaurants which includes Curate Tapas Bar and Button and Bagels Company in Asheville, North Carolina, and to Mike Trout of the Philly Chef Conference, as well as Kat Johnson from Heritage Radio. So much fun recording at the conference and doing our live show, so thank you. You can find Katie online at katiebuttonrestaurants.com as well as on social media at Chef Katie Button, and you can follow the Philly Chef Conference at Philly Chef Conference, and their website is at drexel.edu. Many thanks again to Sobe Wine and Food Festival and its entire team, and you can follow them again at S-O-B-E-W-F-F-E-S-T, and you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites, BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBear.com and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
Now stay tuned for my coverage from Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm going to be interviewing Mike Lada, the chef and partner of Fig Restaurant and The Ordinary in Charleston, South Carolina. Super excited to get back down to Charleston with the Heritage Radio crew and for, the, for this interview and the entire festival weekend. It's going to be fun. And I'd also like to say I'm super proud that our show, All in the Industry, is currently listed number three on Feedspot Blog Reader's Top 30 Hospitality Podcasts You Must Follow in 2020. Super cool. Thank you, Feedspot. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. And thanks to all of you for being a part of All in the Industry. I'm Sherry Bayer. Till next time, have a good one. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.